You want the truth? You swing that sword with a smile and you scare normal people. And you dress like a whore. This is not your truth. The lasso compels you. Now tell us your truth. I cross-dress in a Wonder Woman outfit. It makes me feel powerful. <laughs> Embrace your truth, my friend. My outfit makes me feel powerful, too. Welcome to Bear Pile, your pile up of everything geeky and berry. I am your mama bear, the Yeti. With me, as always, is the lovely, the talented, the beautiful Jonathan Moore. Say hi, Jonathan. Hi. Feeling extra bashful today? Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, with us this week, we have Tom. Say hi, Tom. Hello, darlings. We have Ross. Say hi, Ross. Oh, hi, dear. And we have Tyler. Say hi, Tyler. Hi, hi. So uh, this week we are discussing iconography uh, of superheroes. So for the uninitiated, iconography basically is going to mean, for our purposes, uh, anything that is immediately recognizable as being associated with a superhero. So something that even, say, non-comic book goers will immediately recognize as being associated with that superhero. Um, so I was thinking we could go around, uh, real quick and just discuss icons that you feel are so very recognizable and associated with superheroes. Uh, so Tyler, why don't we start with you? Uh, I'd have to say the Green Lantern symbol, as it's probably one of the highest, uh, amount of people wearing it on a t-shirt. Uh... That's that's the Yeti sound of, of... I don't know about that, but we'll get back to that. Um, Ross, how about you? Um, it, for ones that are, at the moment, extremely popular slash recognizable by most people, um, probably Iron Man's arc reactor, or maybe Wolverine's claws. Okay. Uh, Tom, what about you? iconography symbols I think of Batman instantly um, between the uh, bat symbol and the uh, Batman arcs that were done by Tim Burton I mean it's probably one of the recognizable superhero images okay uh, Jonathan I know you're not a comic book man but uh, you probably have a few from the outside perspective well, I mean, uh, you know, uh, everyone knows Superman and his, uh, his, you know, famous chest S, which apparently is no longer really an S. It's, what is it? The Kryptonian something? Kryptonian symbol, symbol for hope. Oh, very fancy. Even though it looks like a goddamn S. <laughs> we could make a whole other podcast about the man of wood, but I, I don't want to get into it. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, these are all really obvious, um, you know, just, just basically for the audience, just basically really obvious symbols, just stuff that is super associated, like, you see it and immediately you're like, this guy. So, um, my icon that I would put up there is definitely, um, <clears throat> it would either be Wonder Woman's, uh lasso or you know her symbol the two w's interlocked so let's get a little bit deeper into this um superhero iconography let's talk about that does does do you think that say we we've talked about people who like wear the symbol or put it on their clothing do you think that um 
they sort of use it to associate with something in the superhero or about the superhero, something about the superhero that they love. Um, Ross, why don't we start with you? Um, certainly. I mean, the fact that any given comic book fan or I guess anybody who's not a super huge comic book fan would choose one particular superhero that they really like. It, they're their favorites. And so much so that they would buy a shirt, a uh, random accessory, which has that superhero symbol on it. I mean, I think that in a way it's showing that to everybody, yeah, this, this superhero speaks to them in some way. Uh, yeah, I think that that's true. I think, like, on a, on a deeper level, we can actually look at it on a sort of meta-theatrical um, level as, like, the, the people are accepting, especially in the less-than-comic-book-going sort of audience, um, uh, you sort of see different superhero symbols be associated with certain certain temperaments and attitudes, like, almost without having anything to really do with it, Superman's S has sort of become associated with um, male power and machismo, sort of something like that. Like, it has transcended what Superman really is and has become the symbol for being a Superman with a capital M. Yeah. An alpha male, if you will. Yeah. And... By almost the exact opposite of that, you have the Wonder Woman W's, Wonder Woman herself, who has sort of become an icon for not just feminine power, I don't want to just say feminine power because I love her to death and I'm male, Um, sort of just like power for anybody who has ever been oppressed. So she sort of... I mean, the, the two W's, they already look like an equality symbol, so... Yeah. But that's that's one of the things that I've always that have has always been like wonderful about her is that you know where Superman's iconography is completely protected, um, where he has to be because of who he is and what he sort of he he sort of is like the flagship for DC. He cannot change, and he cannot be a symbol for progress. Where Wonder Woman, even though she's one of the most prominent superheroes in the business, has never ever been fettered with that. Like, she's always been a symbol for progress and change. And yet she still hasn't gotten a movie yet. Which sucks. That has more to do with Hollywood than it does anything else. That and, and DC Studios being run by chimps with lobectomies, but that's a different story. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my. So can we look into sort of like different other superhero icons and sort of uh, pull anything out of those? Let's talk about, say, like the Batman symbol. That's a very sort of frequent one that we see a lot. Like a lot of people wear that, even if they've never picked up a Batman comic. Is there something about Batman that they're latching onto? Well, I think I think a lot of the, especially with the movie movie franchises, I think superheroes just in general are moving outside of being wholly the domain of comic books. They're you know they're they're movies, they're TV shows, they're you know they're they're cartoons. They're they're so much more now. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I think I think it, they're just more accessible and more people. You know, they're obviously there are people that are just doing it to make a fashion statement. Yeah, and for. Sort of sounding hipster-like, but uh, I've I've seen a lot of people, and I've actually ran into a couple of people. And I'm like, oh, I like your Batman or any other symbol that they're wearing, and they're like, oh, I don't even know what it means, and they're just wearing it because yes. they see it on like the Big Bang Theory. I, I have I have a little quick story about that. Um, I have a, a female friend um, who went to a local Comic Con, and she was in they had a geek speed dating type thing and uh and it turned out there was this one girl there who was dressed as like sexy batman and the uh, person who was hosting it uh asked her some stuff and she it turned out she couldn't even you know tell you she didn't know who bruce wayne was um yet she stood 
yet my, my friend is you know is an average looking female she's you know she she's not like a supermodel hot this girl the the sexy batman girl was like supermodel hot and she still got like numbers from all the guys and my friend got two so that's one of the things that pisses me off the most when it comes to cosplaying and i'm sorry that i'm like taking the conversation in a slightly <laughs> different direction but we can come back to iconography when people dress up as characters and they don't understand or they don't get or they don't even know about the character, that is literally one of my biggest, biggest pet peeves. I have to completely agree with that. It's kind of annoying. Um, I, feel if, I feel if you're going to dress as a character, or if you're going to wear a symbol of that character, you should have at least some general knowledge of the mythos that surrounds that character. So, sort of like the popular culture things, like the the Batman symbol and the Superman symbol, um, they have sort of lost their iconography in the deluge of popular culture. Is that sort of what we're coming to a consensus on? Kind of like a Big Bang Theory. It it consistently has it has poked fun at the geeky community for for liking things that we've liked for years. That's one of the reasons why I don't associate with that television show as much as other people do. It, it doesn't praise uh, uh, our community. It, it demeans us in a way. Yeah. So, so let's just say, let's, so there's something, there's an element to superhero iconography that it gets lodged in the mind of popular culture, but maybe the meaning is lost, where like certain superheroes get out with a, a sort of skewed meaning like the like the superman symbol like we said before um other superheroes get out with their meaning fully intact like the wonder woman symbol and then we have the batman symbol which is just sort of absorbed without meaning into the culture right and and, and i think you know unfortunately with with wonder woman out of all the dc uh you know comics she's the Unfortunately, of, of of the of the big ones, she's of the major ones. She's like the least represented in the media, you know, of, of the big DC. Even though she's a major player, she's still. I mean, she's had what in the last thirty years? She's had one TV show, and yeah. how many Superman remade, Batman being remade. Well, that's that's one of the things about superhero iconography, especially if you are a superhero who is not protected by the flagship. Um, Despite being one of the big three, the top big three of DC, Wonder Woman is not protected by the flagship. She's not, you know, DC is going to put like a big stick down and be like, no, you can't, can't do that, can't do this, can't, you know, Superman, even the fans, um, to a certain extent, will just be like, you can't do this with Superman because of such and such and such a reason. And it's because they've become such icons in and of themselves. So Batman and Superman have gotten to this point where they will simply retell their story over and over and over again. Because it, it, it sells and it's a cash cow. It is because it's it's so easily recognizable to the popular culture because their iconography. Um, they have become cultural iconography now outside of nerd iconography. But but what is it? I mean, is it is it what is it about Wonder Woman that is it because she's a woman? I mean, is it is it yes. because she's a strong, independent woman? Basically, I think that's, that's exactly the reason why she has gotten so little play is because unfortunately she is in fact a woman. Unfortunately, it's mainly because uh, Hollywood is run by a group of people who don't know what to do with things that aren't exactly the same thing that they've been doing for the past ten years. And a, a, a movie about a strong female lead who has literally not been raised in the patriarchal Western world is just something they don't know how to process. It's something they're just like, wait, we can't just slap tits on the screen and, and it'll sell. Like they don't, they well, don't hold understand on, the hold iconography. On. They, can, they can do that, but then we get such glorious films like Catwoman and Tank Girl. Yeah, oh, it's Catwoman. I, I, I. That was terrible. Even I thought that was terrible. That um, yeah, that is another thing. Is just like I enjoyed it, but that was not for the reason of it being Catwoman. Yeah, which is a shame because Halle Berry could have played a really interesting Selena Kyle. Oh, definitely. But... Didn't they even change her name? 
yeah, she was patience. True, true blood or something too hard or something stupid. I don't know, something dumb. It was a terrible ass pa- movie. It was pa- Patience Phillips. There we go. That was the uh, okay. that was the character's name. Basically, what happened with the Catwoman movie was it started out as a sequel to Batman Returns, and they were originally going to have Ashley Judd play Selina Kyle, or they were going to try and get Michelle Pfeiffer to come back. And it eventually trickled on down to this nonsense where they were going to change the entire mythology behind this character. Just pretty much, uh, it just gets me so angry. They essentially pussified, if you'll forgive the pun. Um, They took this gloriously strong female DC character and they made her a weakling. Yes, absolutely. It's it's a it's an unfortunate side effect of, um, luckily uh, to my ever increasing awe, Marvel Studios has been amazing at not denigrating their female characters. Like they've got a whole host of female characters that have actually played large important roles, um, in in and about the stories and they're not bit characters and they're not there to be just, you know, cute and run away. And even when they have things like a femme fatale, which is what basically uh, black widow is, they sort of go more in depth into that. And they're just like, well, it's not easy and it's not fun. And here's what she has to fucking go through. And it, it, it's unfortunate the DC Studios is still so stagnant that they they and stuck in the eighteen hundreds. Well, it's 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 an unfortunate side effect of a lot of their recent policies and a lot of their recent ideas of how the of how their whole gamut of of both comic books and movies should be handled. And it's unfortunately being held and conducted with less than the polite amount of progressiveness. But that's sort of what one of the weird things about it is that it seems like male superhero iconography is untouchable and unassailable. You can't change it or it's not mutable in in any way. Um, But female iconography is sort of more mutable, more malleable. Well, how many, how many, how many superhero, female superheroes are just a female version of an existing male? That's a very good point. I I mean, Wonder Woman, I will come out and say is, is, is a character unto herself, which is very rare. But Batgirl and Supergirl and Mm -hmm. Batwoman. Yeah, we do have we do have really good superhero heroines that luckily escape this trope. We like we have Black Canary. Um, There's Mockingbird. Yep, uh, Starfire and Raven. Um, Wasp to an extent. Mm-hmm. Cheetah. Yep. Zatanna. No, Zatanna is uh, sort of like a female version of her father. Yeah, even even like Storm from the X Men. I was reading a thing about how she's actually a repurposed version of an earlier male character. Mm. That hurts. There's Rogue. Mm-hmm. See, I don't know if I I'm, I'm going to count the repurposed, um, because sometimes you, as a writer, you do that. You're writing a character and you think of it one way, and then during the writing process, they transmute into something else. Um, I would I would say that Storm, by this point, any character that she might have been preceded by has been successfully buried in the ages. Yeah. But, yeah, like, so, you know, the male iconography of the superhero basically it persists to the point that even female superheroes have to bear it at some point. Even good female superheroes have sort of like been bogged down with this other male iconography. So 
I mean that. Julie, Jean Grey. These are other examples of like superheroines that mm-hmm. haven't gone through this gamut of male iconography that has been repurposed. I think Marvel is much more um, able to escape that because they don't sort of have the superhero family trees that we sometimes get. Like Marvel is not quite as old as DC, um, and a majority of the superheroes that they have now didn't emerge until the Marvel boom in, say, like, the late 80s, early 90s. So they've sort of escaped, like, this horrible trend that we had in, like, the 70s, uh, like the 50s, 60s, and 70s, where every superhero had a sidekick, and every sidekick just... They they went and formed a super team, and then their sidekicks formed a super team, and it was... But that was was kind of the... um... And their pets had a super. Books up the silver. Was that? <laughs> um, and you see, that's around that time because the first Teen Titans was actually, if memory serves, formed in the '60s, when, and that was sort of like what it was was just like everybody's everybody's sidekick went and joined a team. Um, uh, well, it had to do with uh, actually. Uh, Raven traveling back in time and putting it together herself. That's a different one. Um, that is the second Teen Titans, which was rebooted in the 80s. But oh, okay. doesn't a lot of that that come from the whole thing with the comic book code where, you know, after after World War II, during the 50s, they kind of tightened what you could, you know, show in comic books so it got a little squeakier and a little goofier and... and uh, and all that in the 50s. You're, you're, you're talking like Golden Age, Silver Age, Bronze Age? Yeah. yeah. So this yeah. would this would sort of be British Age. Tarnished Silver? It's like, like, like I, was, I was reading some stuff on, on Batman about how like like in the in the in the 60s it just got ridiculous. It was like it was almost like he had like the, the you know the Dark Knight who works alone had like this family. He had like you know, he had like Bat. He had Robin was like his son, and Batwoman was like his wife, and 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 Alfred was like you know, crazy uncle, and 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 he had the little the little weird imp 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 bat imp thing, and it just got ridiculous, like kind of. Yeah, unfortunately, um, DC because of a lot of the the camp that they had in their earlier career, they ended up keeping this thing where. You know, every, everybody and their mother has a sidekick, and that sidekick is usually just either a lesser-powered uh, version of the superhero or a gender-swap version of the superhero. Um, what, I find, what I find particularly interesting about DC and Marvel is that DC has been consistently darker since the uh, mid-'80s. And um, well, I mean, I find it hilarious that DC has now been saying, "Oh, we're only going to be no jokes. No jokes can be in our movie." Like, really? You, you're not you're not going to make your movies just slightly funnier and slightly campier just to show that you still have that type of comedic edge. But it doesn't have to be campy to have a sense of humor. But the, that's the problem: is that they don't have a comedic edge anymore, especially not in DC Studios. Um, exactly. They've it's like they've done away with what they used to have. And I mean, I know that Joel Schumacher <laughs> um, sort, of, sort of tried, God rest his career, right? Tried to um, uh, tried to do that with like Batman and Robin and Batman, uh, not Batman Forever. Yeah, Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. He tried to bring it in, but he they it was done in such a poor way that it became too campy and too over the top. Yeah, and, and, you know, Going back to the whole thing about the, the sidekick, thing, I'm curious. You know, was that possibly uh, an attempt to, you know, at the time in the in the '60s, to bring in younger readers that to bring a character they could relate to, instead of having these older, you know, someone that that, that they could kind of, I don't know, if that makes sense. Some some someone that that was their age that they could kind of latch onto and feel like they were part of the story. I think that that's pretty much what it was, especially with with sidekicks. It's what it always is. Um, Marketing. It's yeah. Y- you create an avatar, which is unfortunately what a lot of those sidekicks were. They were just sort of blank slates for the audience to just drop themselves in. Well, it's um, the same. 
Doctor Who, that's what the companion is. So. Well, kind of, but the companion is still given uh, a, a personality after a fashion. There's a difference between having the voice of the audience and then having a blank avatar. Yeah, with sidekicks, it was very much... Uh, they couldn't really do anything without the the main superhero. And a lot of the time, a lot of it also had to do with the superhero saving their sidekick. Yeah, they just became a, basically just a thing to save. Um, gone, gone are the damsels in distress, and it's the... Yeah. the yep. Uh, this, of course, led to uh, uh, like the sidekick thing. Actually, led to some good progress in DC's canon because then you had something like Young Justice, yes. which, uh, if you guys haven't read the comics, at least see the cartoon. Uh, it was an excellent cartoon series. It, it was. It was. It was very well written and well animated. Incredibly well written. Um, which actually, like, it actually addresses the whole we're really sick of being treated like assholes because we're sidekicks thing extremely well. Wasn't there a, uh, wasn't there a period of time where all the sidekicks were like becoming like druggies and stuff like where they could be like very uh, special, special episode issues about how drugs are evil. Ju- just one. Um, well, if you're Batman, you had several issues about how certain <laughs> things are evil. Um, he's had issues where jazz has been evil uh, punk rock, um, video games, like, like, unfortunately, again, coming back to iconography, uh, especially with Batman, Batman's iconography sort of being a blank slate, uh, they just sell him out to whoever popular culture wants to demonize at the time. Yeah. Batman, I feel, Batman, I feel is one of DC's biggest cash cows. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the whole point is that, um, That's why he has so many movies. He's got he's got hundreds of because his story is an interesting one to tell, and it's actually the person who originally came up with the idea was actually very smart. Because when you actually look at the character of Batman, it's a story of a mentally unstable man in a bat costume fighting crime. He was originally um, supposed to basically be a ver- uh, like the the. the- like the shadow and the green hornet that were popular radio serials at the time. Yeah. Um, but it has a lot, it, it, especially in the seventies, it had a lot more to do with psychology. Um, well, 70s, I was thinking back in the thirties. So. I know I'm, I'm talking more about when it was, when it broke out of sort of, sort of like the Adam West campiness back into its noir roots. Yeah. It was very dark to begin with. I actually, yeah. It was dark to begin with, and then it got campy, and then in the 70s, they were able, because the comic book code was sort of going out of vogue, they were able to bring it back to um, its original noir beginnings, and because of that, and because of a lot of uh, things that had happened in between the 30s and the 70s, uh, they were allowed to use a lot more interesting psychology in the creation of the character. But none of that is known to popular culture. Um, if you ask somebody on the street, they'd probably be able to tell you Bruce Wayne's story, but they would not be able to tell you uh, like all the things, all the influences on him and all the, say, like different psychoses that his supervillains sort of represent. Yeah. That's, that's another thing about Batman. He has probably one of the most extensive... Um, bevy of villains in his um, in his repertoire. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Batman, definitely. So oh, yeah, he created the villains, though. He creates his own villains. That, that's a very good uh, point about Batman, is he does sort of create his own villains. But one of the weird things is that we can, we can sit here and talk about Batman for days and explain different parts about him. Literally. But the weird thing about it is that in popular culture he has become just a blank slate. And he's just something that you wear when you want to, you know, he's just sort of like if you're impersonating, sort of like you want to wear geek chic, you you get something with a Batman symbol slapped on it because it's something you recognize, but you don't know what it means or why or why it's important to you. Or you 
give a reason and everybody could be like, oh, yeah, that's so true. When yeah. you're just giving random point A. But it's 50-50 it's on who's really interested and who's like completely and totally not even with it. But that's like one of the things is that I can come up with things, for, especially for DC's Big Three, I can come up with um, reasons why people attach to Superman. I can come up with reasons why people attach to Wonder Woman. I don't have like a value that people attach when they sort of like wear the Batman symbol. You're a dark brooding loner who uh, wants to get vigilante justice. Like you think that 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 they would be like associating like something. You'd pick up something from it, but uh, even, they don't just think. Like it's just sort of just become a blank catch-all symbol, and and it it has because of all of the like with mainly it was put into the spotlight because a lot of the uh, the movies because there's been what seven movies, yeah, just and about eight or so TV series, uh, and each one is its own reimagining of Batman to the point where each one has its own different personality. And any one person can match any 16 of those to the point of, again, just being able to say a random point from themselves and agree with 50 different people about one type of Batman. I like, I like doing the Batus myself, so. <laughs> so what is it about this particular symbol that sort of sort of just leaves it blank? Is it just the multitude of media surrounding it? Or because I mean, I know people can say something even though they don't mean it, but more often than not, you're just going to hear, you know, I've actually heard from people's own mouths, you know, I I I got tattooed with Superman cuz, you know, he's strong and he's super manly and just, you know, normal machismo bullshit. And, you know, I understand that. And then you have people who get tattooed with like the wonder woman symbol. And it's, you know, she really speaks to me as a superhero. But you have people getting the Batman symbol all the time, like tattooed on them. They wear it on their clothing and you're just like, Oh, really? Why did you get that? And they're just like, well, I like Batman. Yeah, and it, it just sort of stops there. Like, there's nothing. There's what, no elaboration. Yeah, what is it about Batman that, like, if there is an emotional connection, people just can't sort of nail it down. Well, I he's think the Dark Knight. He's the Cape Crusader. He's this. He's that. Fine. He is, that's terrific. He's the Terror that flaps in the night. That's Darkwing Duck. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think maybe 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 Batman speaks to something visceral in people. You know, he's he is the he is the lone, you know, from what I understand from my limited knowledge, he is one of the the few superheroes that really has no actual superpowers. Uh, he's among mortal. Me. That's that's the thing. Yeah, he is. He is out of all of them. He's the one that theoretically any of us could actually become. So maybe that's what he he what people draw out of it. They, they feel like I could actually be him. You know, I don't need uh, to come from a, from a planet or, or have gamma radiation. Or give me cancer. Just to have to have a billion dollars to your name is all. Oh, or work out a lot. I don't know. <laughs> so he's sort of like, um, just the most realistically attainable. So it's just like, whole, uh, mortal vigilantism is anybody can do it. So he sort of just represents, he, because he, you know, people don't have like the, uh, sort of like lofty philosophical, I guess, for lack of a better term, attachment to him because he is a celebration of sort of the normal everyman. Yeah. 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 Whereas, whereas Superman is kind of this Superman, you know, he is, he's this, he is this, he's a God basically. Batman's just a, a dude. He's a rich dude, but he's just a dude when you come down to it, you know? So I love to see a Batman reimagining where he's just like middle class. Yeah. You know what the odd thing about Batman is that he is not actually, 
you know, the everyman, which is why I guess I, I miss that sort of association. Than any of the others, at least, at least among the DC universe. He's actually the most equipped to pretty much kill every one of his colleagues if he wanted to. to have a contingency plan. Yeah, that's the thing, is that he's actually... Um, if we want to get into the semantics of super super powering, his superpower is actually that he's a genius. And he's he's very high functioning. He you know, he he's made all his contingency plans and everything he uses by himself. So it's sort of like if you want to get into specifics, he does have a superpower, but I guess that's sort of lost in the world today. Yeah, that's actually pretty true. Because yeah, yes. he does have to make all of these, all of the plants himself, not just go by his belt, the the padding on his seat, or however you want to say that. So there's like a way that he's being portrayed that sort of gives off this illusion of the everyman, without it actually being true. Very much so. And, mm. and can we maybe talk a little bit, you know, we've been talking kind of these, like, top-level characters for a while. What about the, some of the less well-known ones, like, that have kind of been become more popular in recent years, like the Green Arrows become popular, or Iron Man until recently was kind of a, a, a second-level character. What, what do you guys think about them, you know, and their iconographies? Well, um... Green, uh, let's, I'm gonna, let's start with the Iron Man, which is, he has become a, an icon mostly because of his portrayal in the films. I have absolutely no qualms about saying that he still would be sort of like this superhero that everyone loved to hate if Robert Downey Jr. didn't turn that around. Definitely. Because he was, I, my, my, from what I've, uh, read of uh, the comics I've read that that do end up featuring him, I've always found him to be just an utter, complete and utter dick to people. Yeah, and because I, he, because he is the character, he, yeah, he is in, a dick. And in, 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 in the movies, it's, it's interesting. You know, you got to credit Robert Downey Jr. The character's still a dick, but somehow Robert Downey Jr. makes that very charming. He's a he's a dick with a heart of gold. Yeah, I uh, think yeah. what the difference is is that. Iron Man in the comics is a dick and incompetent. He exists literally to fuck up and get people killed. Um, where Robert Downey Jr., uh, his portrayal is always, you know, even when he's not in control, you feel like he's in control. And um, straws from 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 like from like people like Steve Jobs and, and kind of these corporate gurus. You know, a lot of his portrayal I've noticed. So. Another thing with the movie is, like, with the actual Avenger movie, uh, as much, like, in the comics, uh, Captain America is always always supposed to be the leader mm-hmm. of the Avengers uh, together, but uh, Captain America is always the leader. Whereas in movies, it's very much, I want to say it was more of an Iron Man movie featuring everybody else. I would largely disagree with that. Really? I would. uh, I think because Cap is the one who ends up... I think the movies really let Cap come into his own, especially the Avengers. It was more Iron Man trying to take the lead at wherever he possibly could. Well, the movie movie was sort of... um, It was that because Tony Stark is used to that and he's, he's used to people letting him get away with that, which is great for the character. Um... But in the end, you know, Cap is the one who's been in war. Cap is the one who knows what he's doing, and he's the one calling the shots in the last battle. But I, I think that it's not an Iron Man movie that the Avengers just happened to be in. It's it's that um, he would like it to be an, an Iron Man movie that the Avengers just happened to be in that causes the friction between him and Cap. Yes. Well, and how much of that is, is, is in-universe, and how much of that is behind the scenes politics the fact that out of everyone in those movies Downey Robert Downey Jr has the biggest star power uh, I think that it's it's an abs I don't if it is behind the scenes politics and I can't see how it would be 
because they all seem like they have a great amount of time, uh, like a lot of fun making those films. But um, it works for the characters. Like, and you, I would even say that screen time is almost equal. Yeah, screen time is actually equal between all of them. Um, yeah. Like that's one of the reasons that I love the Avengers is that nobody is made to be more important than anybody else, except for everybody is more important than Hawkeye. <laughs> That's one of the things that worries me the most about this new Batman-Superman movie. And, I mean, I hate bringing it back to DC, but the Batman-Superman movie has well over the limit that I would have for characters in a movie. It doesn't have, like, the standard four or five like you would see in Guardians of the Galaxy or the Avengers or what have you. It has a a cavalcade of characters, and I don't think that there is going to be a good um, balance when it comes to this movie. Unfortunately, the Zack Snyder slash Christopher Nolan direction that we've been moving in has been unrepentantly bad. Um, It started off tolerable with Batman Begins and has just gotten worse progressively each year. Um, Instead of... Go ahead. Instead of, like, refining the things that were good about Batman Begins which is sort of an emotionally driven story and a decent villain that hasn't been used to death in the movies, they immediately abandon that and they go, we need more grimdark, we need more villains that everyone has seen a thousand times and we're going I, to absolutely destroy the canon that these things are based on. I think I think it's true in what, in what they said that, uh, you know, it's been said many times that, that you know, DC works better making TV shows than movies. Oh God, yeah. Oh God, yeah. Their so. their movies, especially in the past. Well, that's one of the things is that I am an ultimate Wonder Woman fanboy, and you will not find another Wonder Woman fanboy bigger than I. Um, I don't want them to make a Wonder Woman movie. They will screw it up. They will. I think. I- to bring, I think they need to bring it to the small screen, and then they should, uh, then they should have Linda Carter uh, have a guest role in it. Hippolyta. Yes. Yes. See, I, don't, I honestly feel the same way about the prospect of a Doctor Strange movie. Yeah, he's he's a relatively minor character, and to his fans, the iconography of that character is immediately recognizable. Most comic book fans honestly have not read the comics. The general public is going to have no idea who this character actually is. And the talk of making a Doctor Strange film, that combination means that for the Doctor Strange fanboys, yeah, there's a, we're, a lot of us under the assumption that there's a good chance that they're just going to completely fuck it up. And I mean, most people honestly won't know the difference, but. And I'm not going to lie; I will be one of those people. I have not read any of the Doctor Strange stuff. But I think, I think, in a roundabout way, Marvel took a took a chance with Guardians of the Galaxy because not a lot of people knew those characters from Guardians of the Galaxy, and when it came out, it destroyed any of its competition because of how brilliant the writing was. So I think when it comes to Doctor Strange, I think there needs to be a little bit more, I guess, slack because it's a brand new character that no one's really heard of. But the problem... also, this is, this is DC, and it, they're liable to, you know, just fuck it up anyway. Yeah. Well, the problem between the two companies, especially, is how the iconography is being marketed, especially, because <clears throat> Marvel is marketing iconography that people has never people have never seen before and they're doing it in such a way that they're just like do you want to see a raccoon shoot the shit out of a room of bad guys we sure. know you do here it is and it's just dc is just like no we we can't possibly make oh, this movie because uh, 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 uh and it's just like i want to i want to make a little bit of analogy there mm-hmm. uh with DC and their stick in the mud attitude of how they want to how to how they want to portray things, going into something that I'm 
way more familiar with um, in the video games, they'd much rather do a male main character because a female character is, quote, uh, too difficult to <laughs> to design. That yeah. is the stupidest a, excuse I've attacked. People excuses. Is that so what they really that's said? Like, that's, that's what Ubisoft said about Assassin's Creed Four. Yeah, it's, it's too hard to make a female character, which is kind of what DC is doing with a bunch of the other um, other things. Like people, they don't know this thing, so they're not going to want to see it. Whereas everybody is saying. A lot of people are like, I want to see some something new from them, but instead of giving them something new that's good, they're just like, okay, fine, I'll throw you a bone type thing. It's 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 unfortunate because like DC, the way the DC markets is that they do, they are so desperate for quote unquote gritty realism that the their movies have lost all joy. Yeah, that's true. They're essentially they're basically digging their own grave when it comes to making their movies. And yeah. it's just like any joy that you feel is at the expense of the movie rather than because the movie made you feel it. I'm not yeah. gonna lie, Bane's voice, it was my sole sole source of joy throughout the entirety of The Dark Knight Rises, but it wasn't because I liked it. It was because it was such a horrible decision. <laughs> and for me, I'm an, I'm a complete not a Green Lantern fanboy. When I went to see Green Lantern, they for me, it was very much the same. It was I was not I was not hating on on Hal Jordan for being Hal Jordan. It was the very inaccurate portrayal of how the character would have acted. Okay, that that kind of brings up something I, I was I'm curious about what you guys think about changing the the iconography like like from what I understand the 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 air the Arrow TV show diverges greatly from the the how the Green Arrow comics go but people love it so is it always necessarily a bad thing when they change the stories around? It depends on. Whether or not you're a fanboy of that particular superhero, I don't like Arrow because we already have Batman. I don't want to see Batman, but you're in green. You're pissing off a lot of people there, sweetie. I understand that. So you just... know that Arrow was created basically as a, as a variation of Batman. Oh, no, he was created oh, as a variation boy, of Robin Hood. He was never supposed to be a variation of Batman. He's always been completely different in temperament and motivation. He is nothing like Batman, which is what people are always confused about. Like, yes, okay, he's a rich kid that fights crime. That's where the that's where the fucking similarities end. Yeah, uh, he's a rich kid that fights crime because of the corruption that was caused by his family, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so, so he took on a Robin Hood persona, a wise cracking Robin Hood persona, to basically make fun of crime while he fights it. It's not Batman. Like it, it's. Hold so on. I mean, I, I don't know a lot about a story other than a few things that doesn't know a lot about it. I've really enjoyed it as a show. And then there's the upcoming Gotham. What do you guys think on that? As the resident Selena Kyle fan, um, uh, I'm intrigued because we haven't really seen much of Selena Kyle and Catwoman's backstory. Neither have we seen much of Poison Ivy's backstory. I mean, I initially. I'm intrigued to see how they uh, how they enact everything. I'm just con I'm just confused, and if anybody can clarify this, who is Jada Pinkett Smith's character? Is that Amanda Waller? I think it's a new character. It's either a new character or they're not saying yet. Okay, that's what I thought. I was a little concerned by that. This is news to me. I haven't really heard of this move, this uh, the show yet. Yeah, it's basically a prequel to Batman. It's basically. It centers around uh, um, Commissioner Gordon. Commissioner Gordon, when he was just Detective Gordon, and and it has Bruce Wayne as a little boy, right? Like I think the first episode is probably him, his parents being killed, and that whole thing. See, so. that I'm not entirely sure that it, that that makes a lot of sense to do because the whole point of Batman is that the police can't do what he can do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's it, the whole show kind of sounds like 
Sisyphusian. <laughs> the whole show sounds incredibly convoluted. Yeah, it sort of just sounds like a Sisyphusian task. Like, we're just going to watch Commissioner Gordon push a boulder up a hill every week to watch it roll back down. Like, <laughs> And then have Batman save him. Well, because Batman's not around yet. That's the thing. Is that, so, oh, not at all. So it, it, it's just like Batman is the reason the boulder went over the hill rather than back down it. So I, I don't see where that show can possibly go except to wait 20 years and then have Batman. Well, I mean, they could still delve into the backstories of characters and villains. And, yeah, they're, doing, um, and, yeah, they're and showing like, how they became evil. You know, they didn't necessarily always begin evil. Things like that. So. so then, every episode is a origin story. It could, it could, if if they do it that way, then I say go for it. I mean, try and see if they can delve delve into uh, delve into the character's past. I know they're I know they're doing the doing uh, the penguin, which we haven't seen a lot of the penguins since Danny DeVito played him. So that masterful performance. That was a masterful performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. I enjoyed it. Oh, I enjoyed that. But it'll it'll be nice to see how they uh, how they pull it pull it together. And I mean, Fox with the comic book companies has been sort of muddied since you know X Men and uh, Days of Future Past and all that fun stuff. And wow. I, wait, I am waiting patiently for the day when Marvel finally buys the characters back from Fox and oh, gives have... us. I mean, you all know where I'm going. You don't well, like Days of Future Past? I enjoyed it, but I feel as though there wasn't. I'm sort of biased because I don't like how Fox still has a hold on Marvel's nutsack. Yeah. Well, if I'm mistaken, though, they have actually sold the rights back to Marvel. They have. They did? Yes. Yeah. I thought that was a farce. It, oh, maybe oh, it is. I'm going to have to look that up. Yeah. To my understanding, it's not, but I didn't pay much attention to it because I read about it at work. <laughs> Now, now, if only Marvel could wrestle the Spider-Man rights away from Sony, we won't have to deal with Andrew Garfield and his terrible hairdo. Okay. <laughs> he has a nice butt. He has a very nice butt. Meh. It's a very nice butt. Well, have you guys noticed that there seems to be like a twenty-year cycle where everything gets rebooted just about every twenty? Years, so. Well, that's because Hollywood, again, as I've said before, is an industry of repetitive cowards. <laughs> it's funny because it's, it's true. It's, it's, <laughs> it is you get to a certain age that you start seeing the cyclical nature of everything. I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we're running out of time. So real quick, we're going to wrap up the discussion uh, with sort of a personal icon that you identify with and why. So uh, let's start with Tyler. Why don't we go with you first? Um. Well. I would have to say it, it's rather a uh, little less known, um, but it's actually the superhero uh, Saint Walker. He is, he's from the Green Lantern uh, um, universe. No, he's from he's, the Blue Lantern. He's from the Blue Lanterns, yes, but it's the Green Lantern universe. Oh, uh, will be well. He, he, uh, he represents hope, and I find myself um, that... I've gone through many a dark time in my life, and I, I've actually found that thinking about him and what his he has done in his um, his story kind of gives me hope that stuff can always get better. So I find that I always look to him whenever I'm in need of that. As we speak, I have a blue lantern insignia on my laptop. Well, I've got I, I'm actually fiddling with my blue lantern right now, so. I've always wanted one, but they don't make them for my giant Hagrid hands. Oh. So, uh, let's move on to you, Ross. What about you? Um, it's honestly hard to say. Um, uh, as far as, uh, iconography that, uh, Honestly, I'm going to go way out into left field here and say the iconography of Dazzler, who is my favorite mutant superhero. Um, her iconography began 
as a disco tie-in. She was the disco dazzler. Yeah. And 30, 30 years on, almost, no more. Um, yeah, she's not a major character, but her, what she is all about, has evolved so much from that questionable beginning and choice of character creation. Yeah. And honestly, I also really just like her. I mean, she started as she started as a uh, she started as a pop culture stereotype and nowadays a joke. But um you know, she's her own person. She's independent and you know, she still performs in the Marvel Universe, but she has moved past all of that beginnings. Excellent. Yeah. All right. And Tom, what about you? Well, um, as far as uh, characters go, I would resonate more. I resonate well with uh, Catwoman. Because of her her classy uh, sense of style, her sassy sensibilities. Um, I mean, when I, growing up, she was like a role model to me, which explains my penchant for leather. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, even even in my uh, even in my my groups of friends and whatnot, I am always like, when it comes to Catwoman, she is in a lot of different different sorts of tie-ins i mean she's not tied down by any one group of people she's not tied down by the heroes not tied down by the villains she's her own person and i i enjoy that aspect about her and i i try to uh, do the same with myself isn't um, she a hero no one knows what she is anymore she's a hero she's a villain i think in the uh, the most recent in the upcoming storyline they're going to have her in she's going to be the now crime lord of the uh of the criminal underground in gotham i'm incredibly excited to see that because i hated how anna chenti was writing her stories um uh, so it'll be nice to uh to see a change of uh, direction for her i mean i don't think she's giving up the cowl and the whip and if she is then i'll be slightly devastated but I, i'm always intrigued to see how many reinventions they can do for her because i think as a uh, as a dc villain She's had a lot of reinventions, and I myself have gone through several reinventions, just not as many as Cher or Madonna has. Uh, let's start... Uh, how about you, Jonathan? Jughead Jones. He likes to eat. He's a superhero, right? Alright, thank you, Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> um, we still love you, John. I'm going to go ahead and and say mine, which is, uh, you know, the Wonder Woman interlock double use have always sort of been, they've sort of been like a symbol of hope because I used to watch the cartoon before I went to school in the morning. And what always astounded me about Wonder Woman is that her first response was not always to pummel things into an amalgamish mesh. Um, she, she, a lot of the time she used like talking and, um, like logic to be like, Hey, you know, we don't really have a reason to fight each other. Maybe you should not try to shoot me. And people are like, Oh, that makes sense. Wasn't there a quote, um, pertaining to Wonder Woman? Like if you want to solve a mystery, call Batman. If you want to do this, call Superman. If you want to end a war, call Wonder Woman. Yep. That is one of my, it's. One of my favorite things is because she is, you have, of the top three of DC, you have Superman, his defining characteristic is his strength. You have Batman, whose defining characteristic is his intelligence. And you have Wonder Woman, whose defining characteristics are her love, compassion, and unending strength, which have been, she sort of transcended her own character and become the face of not only feminism, but also um, fighting oppression no matter where it is. And that's not necessarily a violent thing because she doesn't always resort to violence. Violence, if you pay attention to Wonder Woman, is usually her last resort. Um, 
she'll usually proceed with intelligence and reason first. And she is also one of the very few proactive superheroes. She goes looking for injustice to fight. She doesn't just sit by. Like, she gets in the middle of wars, and she protects refugees, and she feeds the hungry, and she still takes time to sort of stop and talk to children and motivate them to become better. And, like, when I actually started... What were you saying? Uh, She also helps them find themselves. Oh, yeah. When I stopped and I looked at her... And, like, people want to say, oh, she's she's a man-hater and this, that, and the third thing. And I'm like, no. She, she's not a man-hater. That's the whole point. Is that she's different from the people that she grew up with. Her compassion was so much greater than the people around her that she left her only home to go to into a hostile world to save it. Sounds like Jesus. She kind of almost is Jesus, like, like she sort of she sort of is like this all strangely progressive um, hero. Like, when we say hero, we can think of someone who saves people, but they're reactionary. The world they have to something has to happen in their immediate domain for them to out and and be heroic. Wonder Woman is heroic non-stop. And that has sort of stayed with me to the point that, you know, she sort of embodies, like, everything that you fight for, like, equality. Um, equality, strength, intelligence, compassion. Compassion is not weakness. Mercy is not weakness. You know, these things are actually the true strength. So, again, I am a huge Wonder Woman fanboy. And that is that is that is the end of my Wonder Woman rant for the <laughs> It was a And that's all the time we have for this week on the Bear Pile. Join us next time when we will have something equally geeky to talk about. Uh it has been a pleasure talking with you gentlemen this evening. Uh thank you very much for being here, my lovely co host Jonathan. Yes, uh, thank you. Um, and if you want to see uh, my attempt to mangle um, various iconographies, uh, you always can uh, check out my webcomic, uh, Cody the Cub. It's uh, available at uh, www.codythecub.com, or if you prefer Tumblr, it's at codythecub.tumblr.com. And you can follow it on uh, Facebook. Uh, which is slash Cody the Cub or uh, Twitter, which is at Cody Cub Comic, because someone else already took Cody the Cub on that. Damn them. <laughs> All right, excellent. And I want to thank our guests for being here. Thank you very much for being here, Tom. Oh, it was it was a triumphant triumphant experience, darling. Um, if if you would like to see me in scantily clad costumes for my cosplays and such um you can visit me at www.facebook.com slash t-o-m-c-a-t-t official all one word if you would also like to follow me on tumblr where i reblog practically everything that makes me laugh and or cry um it is uh time dash two dash shank dash uh dash bitch dot com uh, dot tumblr.com um and how about you ross thank you very much for being here always a pleasure yeti well i don't have anything to actually plug remember true believers somewhere in the dc universe wonder woman is aware of oz and saying to herself i am a strong independent themisphere and who don't need no major motion picture <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful send-off. Uh, and thank you very much for joining us, uh, our Bear Pile Virgin, Tyler. Oh, it was my pleasure. Uh, I also don't really have anything to plug in here, but uh, it's always a great time to talk about comics and nerdy stuff with a nice group of friends. Thanks for having me. Uh, we were very happy to have you, darling. Thank you for being on. Uh, you're infected. What? I said, give him a hand, folks. He's Canadian. 
Yay! Hooray for the aboots! So thank you for listening, my dear, my dear sweet listeners. Uh, again, join us next time when we have something equally very geeky to talk about. But until then, bye bye, bears. Bye. 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 bye.